where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. I have a question that I really want to ask each and every one of you, and I want to sit down with you and hear the answer. And the question is, how are you? What has it been like for you during this time of pandemic, pandemic and this week-long election that is uncommon in our country? How has the discomfort of not knowing been with you? What about the last four years? Some people have shared a relief they feel that they have been holding for a long, long time. For some, that was four years, but I also think that our recent history and what we're living through right now offers important glimpses and insights into the plight of those who have endured for much, much longer and those who endure still. What have you gleaned from your discomfort and your impatience and your concerns? And not everything was about the election or the pandemic. There are people dealing with new illnesses and death and new challenges. What are we learning along the way? And when we take this in the context of the communion of saints, I sometimes feel like I can hear those good trouble folks who have led the way. It comes up in poetry and it comes up in music, it comes up in art, it comes up in humor, it comes up in prayer. You know, those people who continue to instruct and encourage from life beyond this life. I'm sure you've said this yourself, I can hear his voice, I can hear her voice. And as I ponder the teachings of faith and the great cloud of witnesses, I've been persuaded that we do not rest in peace after this life. We rise in peace. Look at the resurrection stories. Jesus is always on the move. And what's the first thing he says to people? Peace be with you. He rises in peace and will not rest until the breach has been repaired. The fundamental breach. Maybe you've heard this as original sin and trust me it didn't happen in a garden. 
but it might have. The fundamental breach of separation. Separation from self, from others, from the earth, and that which is beyond knowing and naming, what we call here God. Separation. If you've ever had a child, a newborn, you understand, and a toddler, you understand separation anxiety. Or a small puppy, even. Cats, eh, not so much. They seem okay. And we go from separation anxiety toward self-differentiation as a maturation process. And self-differentiation, again, is not an act of separation. It's the, camp, it's the capacity to maintain connection to the unique self of who I am and who you are, and to maintain the deep connection to each other. So I am not separate from you. I am unique. And I am my own person, but I am a person in community. This is the web of life. Self-differentiation isn't me versus you. It's us. With each of us knowing the unique place we hold in the world. And the unique gifts and personality, sense of humor and interests that we have. Richard Rohr talks about these repairers of the breach when he says, history is continually graced with people who have been transformed and somehow learned to act beyond and outside their self-interest for the good of the world. People who clearly operated by a power larger than their own, they are exemplars of public virtue. Who comes to mind for you as an exemplar of public virtue? One of the people I think of is the Reverend Dr. William Barber, who really took up the mantle of uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's work on behalf of economic injustice. And he is a co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign. And he said this week, our work has never just been about an election. Our work is to organize the poor, the homeless, the uninsured, the sick, the unorganized. From the hood to the holler, we must mobilize people who have long been forgotten by our political system. This is a movement, not a moment. And we've said before that scripture is a movement, a movement of liberation and justice. Life of discipleship is a movement. We've had our share of national moments lately, and along the way, the teachings and example of Jesus ask that we join the movement and recommit and double down to the movement and hold gently the ways of love, compassion, and mercy. Our standard is not perfection, it's faithfulness. To be faithful in the midst of not knowing, perhaps, or the discomfort of the now. 
And Parker Palmer says that when faithfulness is our standard, we are more likely to sustain our engagement with tasks that will never end. Doing justice, loving mercy, and calling the beloved community into being. Now, of course, we can celebrate victories along the way, and I hope that you do. But like, the, like a good therapist will tell you, we're not done. I hated hearing those words, but they were true. And so we recall last week's scripture, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us with Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And when I think of running, I think of Ivory Sully. Ivory Sully, in the summer of 1979, was trying out for the Los Angeles Rams. And he was dating a cheerleader. Turns out cheerleaders know a bit about football. She was a football cheerleader, I should add. She knew a lot about football. And all that summer, Ivory would be seen running around town. It was only a square mile of a town, so you saw him a couple times a day. And what she taught him was to run as if he had a potato chip in between his thumb and index finger. So think about what that did. It gave him something to focus on, but it also required that it relieve the tension in his hands. You don't run like this. You don't run well like this. You can run like this. But think about how gentle you would have to be holding your, your thumb and forefinger together to hold a potato chip without breaking it. I think that's a beautiful image for the posture of faithfulness. Holding something gently. I often do, you know, my hands, palms up with my fingers spread. So if water or sand were poured into my hands, it would just mostly flow right through. Hold it gently. And remember to be nimble. And the kinds of questions that go with this posture is, what don't I understand? What don't I see? What am I missing? Who don't I see and who don't I hear? Jesus was very good at speaking in a way that articulated what was not commonly understood or seen. And he was very good at demonstrating care and connection for those who were not seen with dignity, for those who were not seen as worthy of honor and respect, for those who were not treated as being fully human. Let's listen to this morning's scripture story from the community we know as John. It's chapter 8. So if you're, yeah, so chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. And this is really, to set this stage for you a little bit more, it's the people who are responsible for protecting and enforcing law and order who are at odds with Jesus. 
Then each of them went home, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now let's just pause for a second. Who do we not see there? How many people does it take for adultery to take place? But here is this woman who was cast in the middle of this teaching session with the people who are responsible for maintaining the law and order coming with this question. And so they're stating the law. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. When I first started looking at this story seriously, we acted it out. And when Jesus goes down to write in the sand, people's eyes will either follow him or they'll fall on the other people in the group, right? Maybe that was the first time they were looking at each other, for real. So after he said, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, again he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. Maybe the elders had learned to hold things more gently. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So he straightened up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And keep in mind that up to this moment she had not spoken. And no one had spoken to her. So Jesus called her in and asked her that question when it was just the two of them and perhaps those who had been with him for his teachings. And she said, no one, sir, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. This scripture story perfectly articulates systemic patriarchy. You've been hearing the word systemic racism, and you might not have an understanding of what that is. This is systemic patriarchy or sexism, where an offense that involves a man and a woman typically, but not always, 
only holds the woman accountable. And not just accountable, but allows for her death by stoning. I hope you see that as wrong, as unfair, as unjust. And this law is still practiced in parts of the world today. Those in authority were at odds with Jesus. They were at odds with his teachings, with where he came from. He wasn't of the right breed, apparently. And don't think about race here, because race is a modern construct. This was about his hometown and his caste, if you will. And in the name of law and order, they forgot to ask, the scribes and the Pharisees forgot to ask, what am I not understanding? What or who am I not seeing? And for those who tuned in last night, I don't even have to say for what, because you know what I'm talking about. What did you understand and see anew last night, specifically about women, children, and people of color? What did you see in a different light? If your relief only came because there is now a decent man who is striving for healing and not division and who is going to use his power for healing, if that's all you saw, you missed a lot. Go back and look again. I thought the cameras did a wonderful job of capturing women and children and people of color. Let's go back for a second to the breach, this separation, this external objectification of others and the externalization of destructive people. Because you remember, if you're, if you're familiar with scripture at all, you know that there were stories of Jesus and his temptations in the wilderness. And this was an important element before his public ministry. So before going public and before assuming a leadership role, there he was in the wilderness. And he was in conversation with the devil. In other words, he was in conversation with the destructive impulses within himself. And he was in conversation with the divine impulses because we know that the evil one was there and the angels were there too. And that's all inside each and every one of us. The angels were there to serve. The devil character was there to distract and offer false promises. Can you recognize that in yourself? When you head off track after something that can't be fulfilled and isn't fulfilled, 
we know that Jesus confronted those parts of himself because along with peace be with you, he also said, don't be afraid. Because if you can confront and name those parts within yourself, there's nothing to be afraid of. Really. Hold it gently. And I'm going to tell you, I know there's a Broncos game on this morning, so I'm going to wrap this up really soon. But I know, Gwen, you've got to get home. But I just want to give you one example of the power of the Spirit when you hold it gently. I have to tell you, it really blew my mind yesterday. And all of this happened um, with the exception of one piece yesterday. So this one piece that didn't happen yesterday was, you know, reporting that, that we've learned that um, a particular concern for white men who are military trained and their, um, you know, great concern for their health and well-being because conspiracy theories um, and military training are very similar. Um, And I speak of this from people in my family and people in your families too, that the training and the distrust of others is a necessary piece of what we call intelligence and of some of the things that we ask our military people to do. So I put that there, and now here's what happened yesterday. Beth and I went on a bike ride. We stopped for a snack in front of a house in Berthoud that has all four military emblems on the side of their house and has statues of soldiers in different poses, one on their knee, one with a dog, one holding um, a fellow soldier. There's a cross. I mean, it's very moving to see this. Obviously, um, there's a lot, there's a story there. And it was tempting to knock on the door and to just ask. It moved me in a way um, that was surprising. I wondered what the story was behind that. And then I came here to the office and I had a message on my phone. Uh, Arlie was reminding me that it's going to be Veterans Day this week and I had asked him to do that. I asked him to remind me of that because I want to remember our veterans. And then on the way home, I decided to drive by 6th and Main, which you know is a flashpoint in Longmont. It's a place of division where people take their sides. And typically, it's, um, it's not violent, not physically violent. But you take your pick on how you want to describe that place. But as I drove, I intentionally got into the left-hand turn lane so that I was looking at the people who had signs that said, it ain't over, Um, the virus is over, and now fascism remains. But I saw someone up against sort of a few steps back with a long gun in front of him. And I have to tell you that at that corner of 6th and Main is the first time I've ever seen a long gun in person. This wasn't that time, but um, I saw that man 
And I wasn't afraid of him. I cared for him. And I felt like my heart was opened. So same day, next event, I'm texting with my sister because tomorrow is her, today is her birthday. So I was texting yesterday. We got into the election a little bit, and then I said, how is Adam, her second son, my nephew, who was also in the military, who was haunted by PTSD? And of course, they can't talk about politics. He fits that profile of people to be concerned about and to care for. And the end of that portion of the conversation included these words. Good soldier, wrong battle. Good soldier, wrong battle. As a country, we have trained soldiers. I think for the wrong battle. What would happen if we had another organization that was designed to teach and enlist children and adults the ways of love, compassion, and mercy? To be repairers of the breach toward the pursuit of justice. I wonder how the world would be different. I know it would. And maybe you're thinking of the Peace Corps. Yeah, the Peace Corps does some of that. But it's time to learn how to deal with differences in a way that doesn't include violence and to share power in a way that doesn't hoard and dominate and take more than one needs. And so I think we're at a very exciting point. Seems that as, this, as a country, we have a leader that wants to do that. But we've always had a church that's wanted to do that. So don't be distracted by politics. Be committed to the bigger movement. And let the leaders rise up that will support it. Out of respect for the people of color in this country, again, and the communion of saints, I want to read the rest of this poem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with a steady beat, have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers sighed, we have come over a way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. Out from the gloomy past, till now we stand at last, 
where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Lest our hearts, drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand. True to our God, true to our native land. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the gift of this day and for all the blessings that it holds. We thank you for the gift of this community and for the ways you help us to see and hear voices that are distinct and different from ours. Help us to hold our truths gently so that we may hear your truths. Help us to be creative in finding ways to resolve conflict and to address big gaps in understanding. Hear our gratitude and our pleas for forgiveness for those who have been enlisted for deeds that are at times too gruesome to mention. May there be healing in our world, in our country, in military families this day and in all families. God, we thank you for running beside us and in front of us. Please encourage us as we go. In your many and precious names we pray. Amen.